with me to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. The text this morning will close out chapter 13. Some of you are probably wondering, well, weren't we on Exodus chapter 14 last week? We were. Um, And yet this section, in many ways, gives us the entire wilderness experience. And so we flipped them for a week on you. Just want to make sure everybody's paying attention to what we're doing up here. (laughs) All right, let's, let's read the text. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we give you thanks for your Son, Jesus we ask for us, Lord, your church, your, your children, that you will um, move within us to persevere through life. And Lord, that's not getting through life with a gritted jaw. Rather, it's receiving the things that you give us in life knowing they come from your good hand, and knowing that you're at work on our behalf, we pray, Lord, you will help us to persevere to the end, which is our salvation. We know we can do this, Lord, because we don't do it on our own. But Jesus, you are faithful to us. So help us this morning Undoubtedly, God, some are here before you this morning and feel a great deal of discouragement, could feel under the duress of a great many difficulties, some of things that people may know and others that people don't know about, but certainly, Lord, you know about them. So I pray that this exodus this wonderful story of truth of God's people would stimulate in our hearts uh, 
knowing that we can persevere to the end because you are faithful to us. We pray and ask for these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Scripture speaks of the wilderness experience in um, probably several ways. When we think of their experience, we know it had discomfort to it. There was danger. And over uh, time, uh, the people of God had fear. Life is a lot like our wilderness experience that we see in Exodus. There are dark moments that come for all of us, every one that sits here. If we're not experiencing it now, at some point in our future, barring Christ's return, we will all experience these types of things. Difficulty in your own life through disease or illness. Loss of job. Facing financial difficulties. Many Christians suffer through the pain of loneliness, which I have learned even as a pastor is some of the most painful things that people experience is loneliness. Death of a family member or friend. We always need to ask ourselves, how is it that Christ wants us to navigate through life? To navigate through the own wilderness that we experience. Israel here, God's people, will wander 40 years in the wilderness. Even when we look at this, what's, you may or may not know this, but it literally probably could have only took two weeks to reach the promised land. You think about that. God had them travel the way they did, and he did it for a lot of reasons. Um, and even for some, when we get in this text, when they get to the end, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 4, you know what they do? They, they see Canaan, and they literally said, we want a new leader, and we want to go back to Egypt, where they had been in bondage for over 400 years. People can be fickle. And certainly a large of that group were unbelieving hearts. We know this is true from Numbers chapter 13. Now, I think at the beginning of this, when we begin to dive into this section, we want to consider and always hold in light of whatever you're personally experiencing now is that Yahweh was faithful to Israel. And God in Christ is faithful to you. He's faithful to me. And that walk is with us all the days of our lives. Christ reveals his faithfulness to us and... In so doing, we're to lean into this so that we can navigate through the difficulty that life brings to all of us. So, I want to give you the outline up front so that you'll have this. Um, it's, it's three parts. Wouldn't you want to know it should be three? It's to trust God's wisdom, to rest in God's promises, and then thirdly, in the last section, to live in God's presence. Trust in God's wisdom, 
to rest in God's promises, and to live in God's presence. Verse 17 tells us that as Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. And here's why God did this, because they might see the war and the warring nature of the Philistines get fearful and want to return to Egypt. So God benefits his people by leading them away from that um, because he knew that they would live in worry and fear and that many of them would want to go back. Worry and fear can be debilitating. Uh, when you look at the, the root of what worry and fear in Scripture is its foundation is sin. So when we find ourselves fretting, when we find ourselves worrying, we're really sinning. And I, I don't think we want to just set that aside because we can all be challenged by that. And we're going to get in different periods in life where worry and fear for various reasons can come on us. The people God knew would want to go back to Egypt and go back into bondage. And here, obviously, they're forced to experience and trust in God's wisdom. Leaning into and trusting God's wisdom was the example that Joseph had. You think back to Genesis chapter 50, verse 22, where he had experienced a great deal of trauma through the, the hate of his own brothers. And what experience? He says the words that are really foundational for our Christian experience. Um, while it was intended for him for evil, God meant it for good. He meant it for good. And I want you to turn real quick to Romans chapter 8. Because I think Genesis chapter 50 verse 22, what Joseph said, is really the Old Testament verse of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. How do we trust God's wisdom? Look with me at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So within this context of who uh, Charles Hodges calls the golden chain of redemption, Paul reminds us this is where life is lived. All things work together for good. And it's important we understand what is exactly being said there, that all things work together for good. These are things that are coming your way in life and they do include even your own 
sinful misgivings. Joseph knew that what had happened to him, God had intended for his good, he was leaning into and trusting God's wisdom. He knew of God's providence and his superintending grace over his own life. Even when he didn't necessarily have the answers right there for what he was experiencing. Of course, that comes full circle in the end when God uses Joseph to alleviate the burden of his God's people and, and certainly for his own brothers. What we want to know about this, of course, in Romans chapter 8, that really I don't need to tell you about, but is nonetheless true, is that life is hard and there are no easy routes in Christianity. But know this, God is at work for your good. He's at work for your good. Life, of course, isn't a bed of roses for any of us. And sometimes we get in certain places in life where we really don't even understand what God exactly is doing and may not know it in this life. Yet nonetheless, God calls upon us to trust in His wisdom even as God was in His wisdom providentially caring for through His grace for God's people into protecting them away from themselves, God so does the same things for you and I, both personally and certainly as a church. We need to trust in God's wisdom. Why? Because in Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that God is at work conforming us ultimately to the image of His Son, which that is the day of resurrection. That is the day of glorification. Well, how do I do that? Do I just sit back and say whatever will be? Kind of like uh, whatever will be? Is that, is that what that means? To trust in God's providential care? Absolutely not. We're, we are not fatalist, though we dearly hold to the sovereignty of God, even in the practical realm of living. Live your life and kick every door down. Just trust in God's wisdom to give you direction. Because he is the one that opens doors. And so in everything that you're experiencing, even when the wilderness life experiences come to us, know that God is good. He's a good God. Who only deals with his children faithfully. Because he is faithful to bring to pass the ends of our salvation. Which is glorification of course, in resurrection. Trust in God's wisdom. Because God sees the big picture of what He's trying to do with your life. So you make plans, you give yourself a sense of direction, but always you do that in light of the fact that you're going to follow Jesus. And that God is at work painting the doors and opening the doors, and also at work when you're in your most difficult moments of your Christian experience. This is a part, of course, the union of Christ that we have through the Spirit, that there's an intimacy that God provides you and I as Christians, but we are too 
lean into trusting in God's wisdom. So you assess your present condition, no matter what it is, good or bad, in light of what is the future for your life. You build your life, you build your home, trusting in God's wisdom. And of course, um, God's people here, they, they follow after what Yahweh tells them to do. Secondly, this, we're to rest in God's promises. Look at verse 19. Moses writes this, he says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Now that can feel like a very odd verse. Like what in the world are we talking about here? They're, they're leaving Egypt, and they're taking up Joseph's bones. But really, kind of when we understand what it really means, it's really closely connected. It's really closely connected. Joseph believed in the promise of God. He believed all the way that promise of Genesis 3.15. He was tying himself, Joseph was, to the promise that God made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, once again in Genesis chapter 15, once again in Genesis chapter 17. Joseph told his people to take up my bones as you travel. And Moses, of course, faithfully does so. Because he rested in the promises of God. Joseph believed that Yahweh was going to come to him and that he would one day dwell with Yahweh. He was tied to the singular promise that ties us all in salvation. Think of this. Job is another example of this. Job goes through all kinds of very difficult circumstances. And what does he say at one point? I know my Redeemer lives and I will see him in the day. What day was he referring to? It's the day of resurrection. Job was living his life tied to the promise of Yahweh. Just as Joseph wanted him, uh, uh, Moses, or, or he didn't know it would be Moses at the time, but to carry his bones because Joseph knew the covenant promise that God would dwell with his people one day and he would be resurrected. The Old Testament saint was tied to the resurrection just as you and I are called to the hope of the resurrection. This is, this is our end. This is where your life is heading to. Okay? And so because this is true, we're to rest in God's promises that he has made to us. You recall when we, were, we went through the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, that God's people in the Old Testament were looking for something else to come. They were looking for a city to come. And they knew that Yahweh was faithful to them, that He was going to bring it to pass. 
Church, you and I can rest in God's promises because Jesus literally did pay it all. He paid for every sin that you would ever commit. I love our confessional time. I think it's a very important time. I think it's a big challenge that we should take that time very seriously. And that we should look at it because God does know all of our sins, every thought, word, and deed. When we consider our sin in light of what God has done for us, it should move us with humility and thankfulness. We want to rest in the promises that God has made to us. And just like that Old Testament saint was looking for a city to come, so you and I await the new heaven, the new earth, a new creation, and eternal life with God. Church, when you're in the wilderness that life brings you, rest in God's promises. It's the hope of the resurrection that pulls us through trials and temptations that many times Satan wants to rob us from focusing on that. So in a, in a day-to-day way through, through life, we're to, um, we're to trust in God's wisdom that He's at work on our behalf, no matter what it is, good or bad, and we're to rest in the promises that God has made for us because ultimately Jesus is faithful and he's going to bring to pass you a brand new life as he does for all the saints of all ages. Look with me at verse 20. And then as they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, God went before them. We see the faithfulness there of Yahweh. By day, how does he do this? In a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from the people. Now you may think, as this point is, to live in God's presence. Well, of course we live in God's presence. God is omnipresent. But their focus is really not about what God does. It's about our recognition of it. Know this, that even when you don't understand your circumstances, God is at work on your behalf. You are literally living your life in God's presence. Israel, of course, through the hand of Yahweh, would experience the wilderness for 40 years. And for 40 years... They were led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If we were to go to the end, we won't now for time's sake, of Exodus chapter 40, it closes with a section of verse 34 through 38 speaking of that God's people were living in the presence of God because Christ was faithful to Israel. Now, here's what I want you to get about this. This isn't just symbolism. This whole uh, pillar or cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was God's presence to God's people. 
And he was letting them know that he was going to not only lead, uh, lead them, but he would never leave them, and he would never forsake them, that he was, in fact, in the presence of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now, there's a great excerpt of this. Turn to, turn to Exodus chapter 63. I'm sorry, not Exodus 63. Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah writes this out, that it was the Holy Spirit that was guiding God's people through the entire experience of the wilderness. So I just, I'm just going to read it for our own benefit of Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7 through 14. And so you want to recall everything that we've been going through on Sunday morning and to this point now where God's people have left, they have left Egypt and we know what they're about to embark upon, right? This, this 40-year experience of great trial and difficulty and there's danger ahead and all of these things and yet God is at work. Watch this. Verse 7, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness of the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, uh, they are my people people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior. And in their affliction, he was afflict, afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he lifted them up, and he carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy, and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who has brought them out of the sea and with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put them in the midst of them by his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Did you catch that? This is the Holy Spirit who lifted Moses' arms, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert. They did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Church, we live in God's presence. We live in God's presence. Now again, we know this is true because God is omnipresent. But really the promise of the new covenant is that in regeneration, unlike the Old Testament, God would come to dwell within us. In Christ and in the Holy Spirit. So when you think of the Exodus experience and you think of how God is taking uh, his, his people along, he 
tells them he'll never leave them, he'll never forsake them, and he leads them by the cloud during the day and the pillow fire in the night till the end of Exodus when God's presence then is found in the tabernacle. And then ultimately from the tabernacle, God's presence is found in the temple to where we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., through the new covenant relationship of Christ, what God promised in Jeremiah, I think it's in chapter 31, that God would put His law within us, in our hearts, because we are found in Christ. And so we're to live the life that we have, trusting in the wisdom of God, resting in the promises that God has made to us, and then to live that life out in every area of our being in God's presence. God has made us alive in Christ. And the promise of the end is that Jesus will be our reward. And we'll dwell with Christ forever. Now, how do we do this? Well, I think what's important, that we never want to miss this because of America's concept of Christianity, is that Christ dwells with us in a special way now. He dwells with us as God's people collectively. Too often we think of our experience as Christians as personal in a way. There's an element to it, but that's never to be done in light of the greater company of God's community and people. We live in God's presence when we come and gather together. We come under the instruction of the Word. And Jesus is especially sweet to us through His Word and through the sacraments, building our faith. He dwells in us. He's in every member. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. 7 tells this is that Christ is in you the hope of glory. Yeah. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 through 11 tells us that Christ in us through the work of the Spirit, He leads us, He guides us, and He provides us an intimacy through the wilderness moments. The wilderness moments. Good or bad. We have the promise that Jesus gave His disciples when He ascended that Jesus would never leave us, He would never forsake us, and He would provide for us a comforter. Live your life in the presence of Jesus. It'll protect you from sin. It'll guard your life. To consciously think about every day, if it's at work, if it's at home, no matter what your experience, no matter what the trial is in life, to live in God's presence. Now, having said all of this, some of this for some of you may not mean anything. Because really in regeneration and been made alive in Christ, there really isn't a moment that a Christian doesn't experience Christ. You cannot not experience him as a believer. But that's not true for you because you don't, in fact, know Jesus. 
The truth is you are out here on your own and you're holding on to nothing but strapping up your own boots and trying to make it. And that might work for a season in this life, but let me tell you this, it's not going to work in the end. Because of all of the experiences that we're going through in life, ultimately we're all headed to death. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this to judgment. And the only thing that will save you in this life is an acknowledgement of your own sin in repentant faith and trusting in Jesus alone to save you. That root and, and, and base experience then allows us as Christians to trust in God's wisdom, to rest in God's promises, and to live in God's presence. Those are the vehicles that God uses for us as Christians to navigate through life. So if you're in the wilderness or now, or if you're on the mountaintop, these things are still true. Many times, there were a number of people in Israel's company that complained against God. Yet Christ was faithful. Yahweh was faithful to them today. He never left them alone. He takes them all the way through the Exodus experience. And then he lets them know through the presence of the tabernacle. And he lets them know through the presence of, of the temple that he would never leave them and never forsake them. Here's the beauty of the new covenant. We do enjoy this collectively together. We should never not do that. But we will part our ways now. And Christ's presence will be with us. I trust you'll take him with you. With that thought on your heart. To battle your sin well. And to point others to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're, we're thankful for the book of Exodus. We're thankful for, Lord, even the wilderness experience. Because like it or not, Lord, life circumstances will bring for all of us challenging difficulties. We don't even know exactly what's ahead. And sometimes in your working in our lives, God, we, we don't even know exactly always why. Yet we do know this that Jesus, you are faithful to us. And that your work that you accomplished on our behalf, you have the power to bring it to the end for our lives. I pray we would trust in your wisdom, Lord. You will help us to rest in your promises. And might we think of our lives not disconnected from you when we leave you or, or, or leave this place today, but that we will live our lives in your presence, knowing assuredly that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Strengthen your church, we pray, and ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.